0: Hello and welcome to the Ask L podcast, where I answer any of the questions which you have had this week or over the previous weeks. My name is Elliot Reed, and I'm the founder of the Revitalized Clinic, where we have had, um, we, we have helped over eight thousand people become pain-free, mentally well, and physically fit. I'm very very excited to introduce you to Diane today. Diane started off as being one of my patients, and the Laughter that experience during the, the, her treatments was, was amazing. She's got a fantastic sense of humour. But as well as that, there was a story which really captivated me um, from Diane's past, which she's going to share with you today. Now, on a the focus of today's podcast, the focus is going to be about suicide and suicide prevention. Diane, who founded KSAS in 2021, knows from personal experience the pain and heartache It brings when losing someone through suicide. Diane has dedicated her life to helping others and has been an advocate for suicide prevention in Kent over the past six years at a strategic level. Diane is also a registered mental health nurse, a trained counsellor and a holistic therapist and a master of Reiki. Thank you so much for coming on today, Diane. Thank you
1: very much for having me,
0: Elliot. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. Good very to well. Good to hear. I was just um, wondering if you could introduce yourself to the listeners today, please.
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you very much for inviting me along today. Um, KSAS um, came about, as you said, uh, just about a year ago now, which is called Care and Support After Suicide. Um, I'm 57. When I was 19 years old, my father took his own life. Um, Back then, we didn't have access to counseling, we didn't have family therapy, we didn't have any support whatsoever. It had a massive impact on our life back then, and it still does to today. It never goes away, it's something that you actually live with. It has a massive stigma, um, which affects everybody. Uh, So many of our thoughts and feelings were hidden away in a a complicated grief, uh, because my father didn't leave a suicide note. Um, So there was lots of unanswered questions. So for many years, it's always in the background, always in your mind. Um, Then when I became a county councillor, I started to work with the suicide prevention team at Kent County Council. And we found that during some research over the years that families, again, like mine, had no real support. And then the government started to wake up basically and saw the fact that there were these higher risk factors uh, that some person, somebody else in the family may well go on to take their own lives because they haven't had support or the complicated trauma around suicide. So they started to look at support groups and what support was being put into place for families. And it was then that I decided that actually during my lifetime, I should actually start a support group myself. And then sometimes in life you get pushed and a good friend of mine, they lost their only son a couple of years ago. He was 19 years old and they started to attend a support group after their loss, which was absolutely massive. So I attended a couple of those sessions with them. And it was from then that I decided, yes, I was in the right place. I trained as a counsellor, I was a mental health nurse. This is my duty and it's my service and something I wanted to do for myself and for other people because I know how much it was needed when I really needed it many years ago. So that's how KSAS came to be just over a year ago. And We meet on a monthly basis, uh, once a month at the same time. And we've been doing that for, say, just about 12 months now. And we started our second group in the health and Wellbeing hub down at Medway a couple of months ago. And they also meet on a monthly basis.
0: Diane, you mentioned through your own story, and thank you so much for sharing your own story, that it was also a source of grief or a, not a burden, but a, a source of hardship to not have been left suicide note and I I take it that there's a lot of people who lose people who are close to them due to suicide and the question of why constantly must must be asked on quite a regular basis I was just wondering if you have a, a list or a knowledge of the factors which might lead to someone taking their own life
1: Yeah, I mean, again, we're all individuals. There's billions of people on the planet. Um, So we have all different conditioning. We have all different feelings and emotions. But they have done some research over the years. So some of the the major risk factors um, include things like uh, the end of a relationship, um, domestic, sexual, physical abuse, um, prior suicide attempts uh, as well. And really in my father's situation was uh, misuse and abuse of alcohol and other drugs. But that, that's, also, that's almost a, like a symptom because really underneath that, there is definitely um, mental illness uh, and, and really depression. And that certainly was in my father's case. Um, having access to lethal means is also another risk factor and knowing someone who died by suicide, particularly a family member. Um, social isolation is huge, absolutely massive. So, if you feel very alone, um, chronic disease and disability, and, and inequalities, uh, lack of access to health care and mental health care. Uh, And obviously, another big one, uh, unemployment and and financial problems. So um, deprivation, basically. So those are just some of them.
0: Just out of interest, it's interesting you you mentioned that knowing someone who has passed due to suicide can be a risk factor for suicide. And it's, to me, is more obvious now how many celebrities suffer from mental illness and obviously, obviously, unfortunately, how many celebrities also have committed suicide. Do you have any concerns that this might have an effect on on their their fans or um, people who are following these individuals?
1: Oh, absolutely. The the ripple effect, Um, it's like uh, when suicide occurs, it's like throwing stone into a nice calm uh, lake. And the ripple effect, um, not just on those that are close to you, your family members, your friends, your colleagues at work, um, depending how you took your life, obviously the impact on the service personnel that have turned up to that suicide. Um, so the ripple effect is massive. So if that's another one. So if you, you're you famous, then you're going to affect all those people that um, are in love with you in some respects, you know, or uh, in admiration for you. I mean, I, it wasn't suicide, but I, I still get very much affected by Princess Diana. And that was many years ago. And I still cry to this day. And I never met her. And I didn't feel I personally knew her, So I can imagine, yes, it would be uh, a massive effect on people. One of the other um, risk factors is Um, And this is just some of the statistics, actually. Um, um, In in the UK in 2019, I mean, we have got some recent data, but obviously with the pandemic and the time it's taken to actually have inquest, it's very difficult to come up with figures. I mean, in the UK in 2019, there was over 6,500 people took their own lives. Men are still three times more likely than women to take their own lives. Women tend to have a lot of suicidal thoughts um, and men aged between 45 and 49 have the highest rates in England and Wales. And suicide is still the leading cause of death for men under 50 years of age. And I think that's quite a stark statistic uh, that not many people know.
0: Why do you think, and we've actually had some quite interesting discussions about this in the clinic, but why do you think men are more likely to commit suicide than, than women?
1: Okay, one of, one of the things I'm going to change during this podcast is the word commit. Ah, sorry. Uh, now, now don't apologise, because we all do it, and it's only through recent training did I realise why we, we shouldn't be using this stigmatised word for suicide, is because... Uh, Commit means you've committed a crime. Uh, And yes, uh, until the 1970s, I think it was, um, it was a crime to actually take your own life. And if you go back hundreds of years and the history of suicide, you wasn't even allowed to be buried in a, a consecrated ground, you'd actually be buried outside of the churchyard. Um, And they would also take all your chattels and wares and all the rest of it from the house. So you'd leave your family with nothing if you did things like that. So it's always had this real big stigma attached to it. So we try and and avoid the words commit these days um, uh, because of the stigma attached to that word. Uh, and now I've completely forgotten what your question was. <laughs>
0: yeah, sorry. You know, out of, just um, from my own perception, I didn't realise that the committing no. the part, which was um, basically explaining that you've committed the, uh, the or alluding it to being a crime. I thought that the committing part meant to, as in to commit yourself to, or to dedicate yourself to, um, to a certain action. I didn't. But thank you for enlightening me. So what would, the correct term would be to take your own life rather than to...
1: Yeah, something about um, those days. Yeah, yeah. Okay, something
0: okay. Those so the yeah. question was, why are men more likely to take their own lives than women?
1: Oh, it, the Suicide Act was 1961, by the way. I've just looked that up. Mm-hmm. So 60s, um, when it finished. So why, okay, so I, I think most people will be very well aware of this. Uh, men find it hard to talk men find it hard to express their emotions. Um, I don't know if that's a conditional thing, whether it goes back hundreds and hundreds of years, that they're, they're the hunter, they're the ones that are gonna be the big support, they're the ones that gotta be brave and sturdy and not show their innermost feelings. I think there has a lot to do with that. I also feel Um, especially now that the man is still the hunter, it's a natural thing for the man to want to do. And I do think that society um, across the world, in many places, especially in Western civilizations, um, men's chance to actually be the hero, be the challenger, be the hunter, uh, has been suppressed somewhat. And I do think that there's very few outlets now that men can actually express their feelings safely. In one of the biggest employment areas in construction, um, suicide is very prevalent in these areas Um, because men are not allowed to be weak, they're not allowed to be feeble, and they're not allowed to express themselves. So all these places where men can get together Um, be like-minded and share their thoughts and feelings uh, I think is a good thing but I think we should be teaching this at um, primary education we should be teaching this early on do you think there's some aspect of
0: repression in men from a from a young age because we're repetitively we're repeatedly taught that to fulfill our not instinctive but more primitive drivers, i.e. to be aggressive, to be extremely competitive, um, to punch and kick and all these kind of things that young boys do, um, that we're told repeatedly that these are bad and they're bad traits. Um, And I'm just wondering if from a young age, we might be more so conditioned to hide our more um, emotional, primitive selves than, say, women might be.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely, 100%. There's nothing more joy that I used to get when my sons were younger if one of them would walk around with a buggy um, <laughs> and carry a dolly <laughs> or yeah. something like that or want to dress up in girls' clothes or whatever, you know, just to yeah. bring out... We've all got yin and yang. We've all got a female on a male side. It's just to try and get that balance because there's still that imbalance, I think, in many people, so... I think that men should try and be more creative if they can, trying to find some more creative ways of being, rather than being in that challenging world, as you say, to be so competitive, because that's how they do it. You must, you must have cried, now shush, shush, shush. So, don't cry, don't cry. Uh, with girls, it's okay, come and cry, come and have a cuddle. Why can't we do that with boys?
0: That's interesting. So I, you're, take, you're taking a, a different take on it. So you're, you're saying, that it's not just that men can't express their more stereotypically male traits, but also that it's harder for men growing up to express their more, which would be stereotypically female traits, like compassion or emotion or like the creativity.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's where in primary education, if not in nursery education as well. This is where we should be growing these traits. Um, so I think some of the um, the northern European countries, like Sweden and Norway, are actually trying empathy classes. Yeah, and some and meditation classes. Yeah, which I think are absolutely wicked. Um, I think we should bring that in. It's okay having sex. It's okay learning to read and write. But you know, let let's look at life holistically because the world has changed dramatically in the last few years and will continue to do so. And unless we look after our mental health and teach our children how to meditate and how to slow life down and how to appreciate things, we are going to get more physical illness and more mental illness in the future.
0: I have seen certain studies or at least case studies that have conducted those types of programs at schools where they have meditation classes and as well as that they've had the kids walking, at least walking or running a mile before they start school every day. And the reported changes in behavior and mental health are huge, Much, much better than the control group that didn't have those interventions. I was also just wondering from your perspective and from the individuals that you've helped, how would you say suicide compares to other causes of death for um, the individuals who are are around after their loved one's gone?
1: Um, I think I touched on it briefly earlier on. Um, The grieving process is much more complicated uh, with suicide than it is in other deaths. Um, Because as you mentioned earlier, It still affects you many years later, and quite often there's quite so many unanswered questions. Um, It may well be the trauma of the event that you replay over and over in your mind. Um, And we do that with a normal death, but, but this is so unusual, so usually totally unexpected, or even if it is expected at some point, it's still a huge shock. And people can be left with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, and many different things. But again, everybody is very individual. um, So it's gonna affect everybody very differently. I mean, you've got so many different people that can be affected, your partners, your siblings, sons, daughters, grandparents, extended family, former partners, friends, colleagues, uh, patients, customers, I mean, the list is endless, and that ripple effect is absolutely massive. So it really does affect people uh, much more so than the usual. I mean, you do get traumatic deaths, you do get sudden deaths, of course you do. And I've had a number of those in my life, but nothing has affected me quite so, uh, such as my father's suicide. And I found that with certainly with the people that we've seen so far, And they found, I think what probably surprised me more than they shouldn't really. I just cannot believe that we've gone all these years and we've not had a proper system to support people following suicide. I think that's what surprised me the most because I've still seen people after one lady came in, I think she'd lost her mum and it had been 30 years And she'd not spoken to a single soul about the loss of her mother. 30 years. And there are so many people out there like that.
0: This links to my next question. Why why the stigma? Why is there so much stigma uh, surrounding suicide?
1: I, I still think it goes back not just in this lifetime. I still think it goes back hundreds, if not thousands, of years, because suicide has been around for many, many years, and it's the way we've treated suicide. And I think it's almost in your genes, as such, and in your culture, and in your conditioning, as how you uh, how it affects you. So I think all those things are passed down the generations. So I think that is one thing. So this is why we still use this word, commit, because it was the law. So there's a huge stigma around that. And again, if you look at the history, and you know, to be buried outside a consecrated ground, taking all your chattels and wares away from the family, that stays with generations and carries on. And the more you don't talk about it, the more there's a stigma. I'm so ashamed. I feel totally ashamed My, my father took his own life back then. I didn't know who to turn to. Nobody would listen to me. And everybody would run in the other direction. It's almost like, I suppose, another loss. um, I'm not going to compare, but I know certainly a family member uh, lost a child um, in stillbirth. And nobody could face them. Nobody wanted to talk to them because they didn't know what to say. So I I do think similar is is around that because nobody wants to talk about it. Everybody finds
0: it very difficult. I do wonder how much the church has had an influence on that, or Christianity has had an influence on that, or more the church, because I don't think suicide is mentioned much in in the Bible, but the way that the church and the legal system used to be so much more intertwined than they are today. Because Japan, as far as I'm aware, has a very different outlook towards suicide. And I remember reading some books on the Native Americans and the Native Americans, there are certain tribes where they would essentially abandon the tribe and they would go out into the wilderness essentially to take their own life when they felt that they couldn't serve the tribe anymore or they were uh, of no service to the tribe anymore. So it does seem that suicide has a very culturally specific stigma or culturally specific meaning to it.
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, I probably should do some more research. I suppose if I was doing a thesis, I should look at the uh, the religious side of things. Um oh, I yeah. haven't done too much. I, I haven't done too much on that myself. I would just, I just googled actually COVID and suicide, um, and just a, a report that came out in February of last year: Japanese uh, rise. Is that a warning for the world? Um, because they're their suicide rates actually surged horrendously so and actually went up by 15% in women. Mm. So I I think there's going to be an awful lot of statistics over the next couple of years once all the inquests are done and then we can see a much clearer clearer picture across the world, really.
0: Well, in part of an article which I'm writing at the moment, I came across a statistic that in the UK over lockdown, the reports of feeling anxious quadrupled so four times as many people reported symptoms of anxiety as previous to, to lockdown. I think it yeah, went from um, about 11% to 42% of people experienced sensations of anxiousness or anxiety. Now
1: oh, without, without a doubt. I mean, I, um, in the last year I've been, um, I've been doing vaccinations as a nurse and I felt very privileged to be able to go and do some housebound people Um, So the most vulnerable uh, weren't even allowed to leave their houses during lockdown. And when I'm talking to them, it really does bring it home, how anxious people have become um, and how isolated people have come as well. And now with the restrictions lifted uh, and face masks taken off, um, there are still people out there that are religiously going to be doing every single thing to try and protect themselves with COVID, but there is an awful lot of anxiety out there, without a doubt, there still is. And that's going to be long term because I know their waiting lists for counselling, for instance, uh, are very long.
0: My last question to you, Diane, and this is one I wanted to ask you the most. Having such upfront and close experience with death how do you feel this has shaped your perception of life if it has done at all
1: well there's a big question (laughs) (laughs) there's a big question um well you know we're my belief is we're only here a short time on earth and I believe that we're here to learn to love unconditionally. The earth, people, the environment and most of all ourselves. Um, this is kind of hard to do when we've got all that conditioning we've talked about and the expectations we have on life uh, because of how we've been brought up and what we've experienced. Our ancestors, our culture all have a part to play. But through my own studies, my own spirituality, and studying past life regression and things like that. Um, I believe that those who take their own lives uh, will come back again in another life. Uh, maybe having to relearn or undo patterns of karma from previous lives all over again. So for me, we're all one, really. We're all in its essence the same people, we might have all these conditions attached, but we've all got a soul. And we're all here um, really to become the best people that we can be in this life. So we're all learning through heartbreak, through loss of self-esteem and abuse sometimes. And sometimes it's just too much for people to cope with. And this is how, you know, when they take their own lives, it's their only way out for them. So it, it shaped me in the extent that I went on to do my counseling um, and I returned to practice as a nurse. But my, my future is, I didn't, I didn't foresee anything beyond KSAFs, but just recently I've touched base with um, Eleanor, Lyons Hospi- Eleanor Hospice actually, and talked to them about their counseling service. And I think it's probably part of my future plans now uh, to complete some work that I've started and to continue on that vein, because I, I really do think with this massive explosion of mental health rhetoric over the last few years and the increase of uh, suicide over the last few years as well, it's probably my duty to actually carry on supporting people around mental health and actually continuing with my counselling in the future.
0: I wish you all the best with that journey, Diane. That sounds absolutely amazing and fulfilling. sounds like you're going to be a a huge asset to the community as as you already are. um, I was wondering if you could share with the listeners as to how they could learn more about KSAS or how they could book into the meetings if they're, if they're interested in doing so.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, uh, you can go turn to the website which is ww.myks which is c-a-s-a-s.org.uk. You can contact us through the website and have a little bit um, you can learn a little bit about us on there. I would also like to leave you with some organizations, uh names uh, in case you do know anybody and you can signpost them. So always remember Samaritans are there you can find their number online. Also uh, a charity called Calm, campaign active uh, lives of, I can't remember now, but it's called Calm. (laughs) And Papyrus is another one for young people. And locally we have something called Release the Pressure and it's a 24 hour um, telephone line, which is free. So people can contact that number 24 hours a day and you can find that online as well. So that's four organisations there to to just put in your listeners' minds.
0: Amazing. Diane, I can't thank you enough for your time today. Thank you so much for uh, providing us with your wisdom and your experiences and your very useful um, tips. Thank you so much. And for those who are listening, please check out Diane's website. Thank you.